Good morning. A uh, couple little things real fast. I, something happened last night. Um, it was from my former church, Beach Valley. Um, Chuck, you know, did you hear about that? Uh, Chuck uh, Davis, he was a uh, police chief up at uh, Seven Devils. His son-in-law was killed on a four-wheeler last night, Daniel his name is Daniel Taylor. It's Daniel Davis, which I went to school with his, his brother-in-law. Uh, so it's very tragic. Very close to that family. He had some issues while I was down at Beach Valley and um, prayed him through and uh, really admired him and his family a lot. Um, and his son is Paisley's age. So that's tragic. And just pray for the, the Taylor family and the Davis family. Um, give him a little peace there. And then I heard rumor. Ethan, did you, did you get a little brother? Ethan, did you get a little brother? Did you get a brother? Guess not. Did you get a sister? <laughs> you just, you didn't get anything, did you? <laughs> so is Kristen home? Heading home? Okay. So you got a, got a new one Thursday, Thursday morning, and uh, Kaylee, Kaylee K. And I got to meet Kaylee and Kylie both Thursday night, so. Lord help that family. But uh, it, it's a blessing. She's doing good, I guess. And Kristen's doing good. And Travis ain't slept since Thursday. Not late. But, uh, so I'm glad all that went went well. Um, if you got your Bibles, turn over to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll be, we're going to look at uh, one, of my, one of my favorites in the Old Testament when it comes to Elijah. Um, He's done a lot of great things, but I love this where he, where he stood up. He done something that that um, a lot of people have an issue doing, and he stood up to the world. He didn't just stand up against a, a false god. He stood up against the world and and a four hundred and fifty uh, of the false prophets. But he was a man of God. He was a, a great man of God. And one, I love this. This morning we're going to look at, at this, this event, this great event that, that took place on Mount Carmel. So there's two great things happened. One great thing that we know of took place at Mount Carmel, and this is what we're going to talk to where, where Elijah called down fire. The second great thing, and it's going to happen at Mount Carmel, is the fact that that's probably the mountain that when we return with Jesus, when we go to the Battle of Armageddon with him, when he speaks and slays them all, Mount Carmel's where he's going to come back, where we're going to come back with him. When we descend back down from heaven on our white horses and our white robes and we're all dressed and we all look alike and we're going to go win this battle, Mount Carmel's where it's going to take place. That's where we're going to land and we're going to head out through that valley real fast because Megiddo, the valley, is, is right below Mount Carmel. But um, So we've got, we've got this great story here that took place around 850 B.C. and it ought to inspire us to be a lot stronger in our faith than what we are. Elijah was a man of faith. He had faith in God. He had so much faith in God. We'll read more about it. But he had so much faith in God that he, I ain't going to say he tested or even tried God. But in our little hearts and little minds, we think that he made it harder for God by, by drenching this, this uh, altar. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But he has so much faith in his God, that he would provide. And, and he did just that. 
So just to go back a little bit, uh, we're going to look at the, uh, somebody called it one time, they said it was the, the, the great showdown on Mount Carmel. And, and they're right, that's what it is. It's the great showdown between two gods, the real God, one true loving God, and then a false God, a little G God. So we've got the battle of the Gs, big G and little G, that's getting ready to take place. And, and this was like, this is Elijah saying, let me show you which one's real. Let me show you which one's fake. So they, they go in. I'm going to give you a little, a little historical background on this before we get into the story here. Uh, the civil war had broken out in the kingdom of Israel, and it was split. So you got northern Israel, and they had had a slew of, of uh, corrupt and just really bad kings. And now we're down to this king, and this king, uh, his name is Ahab, and he is extremely corrupt. And his father had signed a deal uh, back with uh, the king uh, Phoenicia, and along with this deal, uh, Ahab was given a daughter named Jezebel to marry, uh, Phoenicia's daughter Jezebel, to marry, which was a huge mistake. We all know about Jezebel. Well, if you know a Jezebel, I'm sorry, because that's not the best name to be naming a girl, I'll be honest with you. And, and there's a lot of uh, churches, and y'all may have heard this before, but there's a lot of churches in this world right now that can't grow and they have, they have a spirit in them in these churches. And it ain't the Holy Spirit. And there's something in the Bible that's called a Jezebel spirit that goes on in, the, in, in these churches. And it's a, it's a corrupt spirit. And that's what Jezebel was, was a corrupt person, a, cor- a corrupt queen. And this is what made her, in my eyes, is what made her so bad, is she worshipped. Oh, man, did she worship. But she worshipped the wrong God. She was a staunch follower of Baal. Everybody knows about Baal. We're going to learn about Baal here in a minute. Baal was the, the little G god of rain and of thunder and of lightning and, and just, just wasn't a real god. But she believed in this god, this little G god. I've said it before. And I, 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 when I was doing, when I was t- coaching uh, T-ball for Paisley, I made a i give all the parents this little sheet that had all this packet of information that they had to take with them and had to study and, and not really study, but look over and make sure that they followed our rules at the parks and recs. But I slipped a little piece of paper in there that I wasn't supposed to slip in there. And it's a story, it's, a, it's an article that came out, by, I think, back in 2006. I love this article, and it's called When, when Ball Becomes Your Bell. In other words, when playing ball, when playing sports becomes your idol, when it becomes your God, uh, and it's to help prevent that because that's the last thing as a parent or as a coach that I ever want is for any child to ever put a sport before their God. And, and Abby was blessed enough to be able to play in a league this year that uh, did not believe in playing on Wednesdays or practicing on Wednesdays or playing on Sundays, and, and, and I appreciated them doing that. Um, so we can take anything, though, and turn that into our bell. And, and at some point, we all probably had a bell in our lives and we don't want to talk about it but there was a point in our lives when especially when we're younger and you, you, you get on your feet and you're out of school whether high school or college and you're, you're starting to work and you're starting to make a little bit of money and you start to find a little a little something that you like to do on the side tinkering with a with cars or farms or whatever it might be and you start you start focusing on that and, and not so much going to church and you take away from God well, and I'm getting off subject here, but, but that, that's, what, um, that's what's going on 
here with Baal. And this is what's going on here at Mount Carmel and with this king and, and these 450 false prophets. And they're going out and, and they started worshiping this, this little G God that cannot do a thing for them. So what, is, what did Elijah do? He's a great prophet. We all know he's a great prophet, but what he did, he prophesied a period of three years, or a period of drought, so it lasted a little over three years. And he said, I'll show them. I'll show them about this one true God that he worshipped, the big G God that he worshipped. And so they have this great showdown on Mount Carmel between the little G God and the big G God. And Ahab, Ahab led his wife Jezebel uh, persecute and kill God's men, all those prophets. Ahab let her do it. So she went out, and she was able to find or send people out to kill these prophets of God. And the ones that could flee would flee up in the mountains there around Mount Carmel and the Kishon Valley there where the brook runs right below Mount Carmel. And they would flee back into these holes and these caves. And it's the same area where the shepherds that we talk about at Christmas, where the shepherds... They, were, they would stay in these caves. Well, these prophets were staying in the same caves as the shepherds did back then. They were hiding out. They didn't want to be killed. Don't blame them. But what does God do? God said, I've got a man. I know a man down there on earth. I've got a man down there that's preaching and prophesying, and he's telling the world about me or telling Israel anyway about me, and so I'm going to use him. I'm going to guide him. I'm going to lead him up to Mount Carmel for him to... to take care of these false prophets and to take care for the last time this God that they're worshiping. So this, as God guides him up there, he's going to take care of these 450 prophets. If you've got your Bible opened, and if you want to turn with me to chapter 18, it'll be in verse 20 if you want to stand for just a minute. 1 Kings 18.20 So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together into Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for uh, themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under, and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on, fire, on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God." And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped unto, or upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud. I love it. He's a smart aleck. Cry aloud, for he is a God. 
Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is in a journey or peradventure. He sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That's a sermon in itself right there. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar. And in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as could, uh, would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be broken, or I'm sorry, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that the people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we do uh, offer up ourselves to You. Lord, we come to You and ask for guidance we ask this morning for understanding where we're lacking lord we just ask for a piece about us today knowing that your presence is here and lord we feel you this morning we thank you for uh your blessings this week lord we thank you for uh, lord just thank you for allowing us to understand in our hearts that you are the one true god lord you, you you've showed us uh through your word you've showed us physically here on earth uh how you can bless us and how you can use us and how you love us. And we thank you for that. Father, I'm thankful that each person here today, Father, has that, that relationship, has that peace in their heart, knowing who you are and what you can do for us. Lord, allow us opportunity to, to share it with others. And Lord, I pray you'd open up doors and clear pathways for this church to, to make a difference here in, in Avery County. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I bless your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Now we start with Elijah challenging the people over in verse 21 to choose a side, to take a side. Who are you going to worship? They knew God. That's the thing about the people that were worshiping Baal. They knew who God was. The whole time they knew who he was. They just hadn't quite made their mind up yet. They didn't know if they wanted to serve um, the one true loving God or if they was going to you know, the coattails of the other people and I mean, you think about it, you got one man preaching God, and then you got 450 prophets 
preaching Baal. So who's going to, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the one that everybody's following? Or are you going to follow the one that one person's following? So they, they knew who God was, and they were trying to figure out which side, do we, which side of the fence that we want to jump on. It's not that they were against God by no means, but they really just wasn't sold out yet on God. Now, over in Matthew 6, 24, it says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's New Testament stuff. But God and Jesus there was telling us, you can't serve two. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to follow Baal or are you going to follow God? When I was out, when me and Abby went out to Dulce, New Mexico a few years ago to do that revival, that was the hardest part for me. It's easy for me to stand here in this church and to preach Christ and Him crucified because that's what you believe and you ain't got no other beliefs. But when you go on an Indian reservation, they're going to hear you. They're going to hear all about Jesus. But what they're going to do when they leave there is they're going to go over and they're going to smoke the peace pipe around campfire with, with the, the medicine man and they're going to worship their deer and their eagles. But Jesus himself said, you cannot do that. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't worship the two of them. Elijah, the same thing. You can't worship the two. Pick one. Pick a side. Get off the fence. Pick, and he's really saying, you need to pick my God because I've got the real God. I've got the real deal on my side. Yogi Bear said one time, y'all, not Yogi Bear, Yogi Bear, the baseball player, said one time, I ain't quoting cartoons. <laughs> he, he said one time, I love this quote. He's got some great quotes, but he said, now listen to it, listen to what he said. If you come to a fork in the road, take it. That's all he said. If you come to a fork in the road, take it. He said, take one. Now he doesn't say which one to take, he just says, take one. When you come to the fork in the road, take it. Pick a side. Because what happens if you don't pick a side? You're going to stand in the middle of that fork until you die, probably. Pick a side. And that's what Elijah's trying to tell him. Pick a side. Pick, pick, get a side. Get off that fence. He said, just, just choose a side, folks. Just choose a side. His heart's desire was for them to choose his side, God's side. But he didn't know what was going to happen. And so... Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of what Jesus said to the church of Laodicea over in Revelations 3.15. He said, uh, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. God doesn't like lukewarm uh, walks. He doesn't want us to be walking in lukewarm faith. God wants us hot. God wants us to be serving. He wants us coming in hot everywhere we go. He wants us to be hot, not cold, not lukewarm. He said, I want you to be hot. So these people that are, are following Baal, are, we'll call them lukewarm because they really just don't know what they want yet. They haven't decided what's going on. And so Elijah, he calls the coin toss and he defers it over. He, the, the other team's going to, they're going to receive the kickoff now. He's going to start this thing out right both God and Baal are supposed to be able to control thunder, they're supposed to be able to control lightning, and they're supposed to be able to control rain. So he's going to turn them loose and say, all right, here you go. You guys start. He says, you got many prophets. you got many more people than me. It's 450 to 1. 
So you guys start first. Build your altar. Kill your bull, your bull, your bull. Cut it up. Put it on that altar, but don't you dare light one, one fire. Not one spark is to hit that thing. He said, I want, I want your God. I want your God to send down fire. I want your God to send down the lightning. I want your God to send down rain. I want to hear thunder from your God. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed and, and, and nothing happened. Um, verse 26 says, And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal for morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. So the false prophets, they get louder and they get wilder. So they're trying to make a big show out of this thing. Sounds like some churches I know. I've been to one or two of them, too. There really ain't no spirit there. But they like to get loud. They like to make a show out of it. Since the Lord ain't in it, they're trying to draw their attention off of what's going on. And so they're going to get loud, and that's what they're doing. They're, 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 trying to, they're doing their little chants and their dances and all that stuff. And then Elijah, he gets a little smart with them, says, Hey, I think your God's asleep. Get a little louder. I think your, your God's taking a nap. Why don't you shout just a little bit louder? See if you can't wake him up. Startle him a little bit. Didn't work. They got a little louder, but it didn't work. They scream and they dance. They even cut themselves trying to, to get Baal's attention for three more hours. But still, no more answer. Now, if you look over verse 29, I like to call this the trinity of silence here. And it came to pass when midday was passed and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening, evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. They got nothing. They got absolutely nothing. Why? Why did they get nothing? Because they was praying to nothing. They was praying to nothing. Bell wasn't real. Bell's false. He's fake. He is a fake God. Another great prophet, Jeremiah, once heard about idols over in Jeremiah 10. He said, They are upright as a palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. They're fake. That's just like them going over to this portal pulpit here and praying to this thing. It's not real. You ain't going to get nothing out of it. You go to that table, and you can pray to that table all you want to. It ain't real. It ain't real. You ain't going to get nothing out of it. He's, I'm going to read it again. Jeremiah 10 says, They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must, see, must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it them that do good. That little podium right here, it can't do squat for me. I can pray to that thing all day long. The only thing it's going to do is fall apart if I don't quit. All <laughs> I can pray to that thing, and it says it can't hurt me. Jeremiah says, this thing can't hurt me, unless it falls on my toes, or it can't do good for me. That table can't hurt me, and it can't do good for me. 
those pews can't hurt me, but it can't do good for me. Jeremiah says it's fake. There's only one God. You pray to that God, that God ain't going to hurt you, and that God's going to do good for you. Because that God, our God, he loves us. He truly loves us. And that's what, that's what Jeremiah saying. That's what Elijah's trying to tell him. Now, I'm guessing and I'm hoping that none of y'all have a statue of Baal in your home. Please say no. <laughs> we don't want, I don't want anybody to have a statue of Baal in your home. But we all have idols. Believe it or not, we all have idols. You can sit there and say, I don't, I don't, I don't. And you may not worship it above our God, but we all still have idols. There's something there that, that we like to go to in our spare time that we tend to, it pulls our minds off of everything. It takes our minds off of church, takes our minds off of God, takes our minds off of family, takes our minds off of, of friends, it takes our minds off of things. Well, a lot of times when you do that, when you get a hold of that idol, then, then, then it's, going to get a, it, it's going to get a foothold in your life, and you'll make it an idol. You'll make it something bigger than your God. You'll start worshiping it and focusing on it. An idol is anything that substitutes for God, anything we worship ahead of God, anything that gets first place in our life, that is God. And that's a little g-God. So we've got to be careful with that. It could be, uh, it could be the status in the eyes of others that people see us and, and, and that we may latch on to that. It could be pride in never being wrong, which is none of the guys in this church. The women laugh. <laughs> Some people take pride in that. I'm always right. I'm never wrong. And they hang on to that. And they can make that their idol. could be clothes we wear. could be TV that we watch. could be... Uh, it could be anything. Cars or drive, it could be anything. I say a lot because I believe in it. I believe that here in America we are blessed beyond measure. We are given so much. We are, we are offered so much. We work for what we got. And we tend to take that, make that an idol because we are truly blessed. But then I've seen the opposite of that, and I've been to places where they ain't got nothing. And they can worship. They know how to worship the one true God because they don't have any bells and whistles. They don't have phones and computers and TVs and all that stuff to get in their way of worshiping the one true God. Amen. Nothing against being a blessed country because I know we are. And he's, he's providing, he's given to us. But we tend to take that stuff and put it above him instead of praising him for it. God knows this, and this is why God is a jealous God. He is a jealous God. He's a jealous God because... No, not because he has some kind of God-sized ego. That's not who God is. He doesn't have this big ego problem. But if you think about it, he is jealous because he alone can fulfill the deepest needs in our life. Only him. All that money you might be making, all that money you might have inherited, all that stuff that you might have, you ain't, it ain't going to make you happy. I promise you it ain't going to make you happy. He's a jealous God because he knows that he can give you a God-sized love that you have never experienced in your life. A, a God-sized love that is greater than any love that has ever you've ever come across. A size of love that, again, I say it often, but you know, they, they compare it kind of to a mother's love. The closest thing to God's love is a mother's love. And that still ain't close enough. 
but for the side of heaven, we'll go with that. But he can offer us a size love. He, he alone can give us the love and purpose. What's uh, the first, first of the Ten Commandments? Exodus 20 tells us, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down themselves, thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. God wants all of us, not part of us. He has given us all of him. And in return, we need to give him all of us. Every drop of us, 100% of us, needs to go back to him. And I think these people following Baal, worshiping Baal, they just didn't get it yet. They were giving our God a little bit and giving Baal a lot. They just ain't figured it out yet. Elijah says it's time to get off the fence. He says it's time to choose a side. It's time to go. It, it's, it's go time. Church, are, are you ready to choose God and to put him first in everything? And that's a big question. That's a huge question. Are you ready to choose God and put him first in your life? Make him first. Make him top rung on your ladder. That's a big question, and that's a lot to ask, I know. But are you ready to make God your God and give him all that you can because he gave us all that he can. He's given us everything. We ain't missing nothing. We need to give him everything because right now, for some of us, he's missing something from us. I don't know what it is, but he's missing something, whether it be worship or prayer or thanksgiving or whatever it might be, but he's missing something. He wants 100% of us. So, are we ready to make God our God? Are you ready to give Him your all? And let's move away from being lukewarm, and let's move into being on fire. Let's move into being hot for Him. That's what He wants. The second thing, look how dependent Elijah is for God to come through. Look at how dependent he was. Look at, he had faith. My man, Elijah, he has Amen. faith. That, that little mustard seed size faith, that's what he's got. He had so much. So, I mean, he was just immersed in it. He loved his God. He trusted his God. And he knew that his God would pull through. He knew he would. Elijah tells everyone, he said, be quiet. Be quiet. And then invites them to get a little closer. Get a little closer. I want you to see what's going on. And then he uses these 12 stones. I love this part. Because these people knew about the 12 tribes. These people knew, and they needed a reminder about where their people had came from, about the 12 that had crossed over. Jordan. So God, I think, spoke to Elijah. 
And he says, give them a little reminder. They'll know. He probably didn't have to say a word. He just went and got 12 big rocks, and he built him an altar. I believe, it, I believe right then it clicked. I believe right then, before the fire came down, I, st- I think it started clicking with these people. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember when God brought our people out. I remember when he saved them. Joshua, uh, we're talking about those 12 stones there. He instructed the people then to, to make a pile of 12 stones to mark the event for future generations. And he, they did. But I believe those future generations eventually started to forget. And they needed that reminder. I think we need reminders. I think we need those stones in our lives. I think that churches need to hear and to see. We need, we need movements. You know, I, I was talking to somebody, a couple, actually preacher Ethan Green, me and him was talking a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about movements in churches. And you, don't, you hear about people being saved, which is awesome. When it happens in your church, it's a reminder of, of God still working. But, and I told him, I said, well, I, I won't do you one better, but I got something that, that's equivalent to that. I said, you ought, to, you ought to be in your church when somebody gets a phone call. Says your kidney's just fine. Your liver's just fine, sorry. You ought to be there with your church, family, when somebody receives a phone call and says, you're fine, don't worry about it. That's encouragement. That's a reminder of just how good God is to his people. That's a reminder of just how much he loves us and wants to heal us and to help us. That's an encouragement. Mary was one of my 12 rocks a few weeks ago. She was a reminder to me that God still loves us and God's still doing great things in our lives. So Elijah takes those rocks and, and puts them out and he's a lot like me. He's a, he, well, he's a prop prophet. I'm a prop preacher. But he takes and he makes a little prop out there. He says, you see these, you see these 12 rocks? That ought to remind you that he is still your God and he will always be your God. Here's your reminder. So he prepares that sacrifice and but then he does a strange thing. He, he messes with them. Elijah likes to mess with them there. So he said, bring me a little water. Bring me a lot of water. Bring me a lot of water. Now, you got to remember, it's been three years since it rained. And it's a long haul to get water up to Mount Carmel from, uh, from the ocean. And that Keyshawn Brook, she's running dry. So they had to tote that water in, and, and they probably thought they were going to waste it, but then he drenches it, drenches the sacrifice, drenches the wood, so much that the, the troughs around it, trenches are, are filling up. And then what does he do? He begins to pray. Now, I like Elijah's prayer. He's not a long-winded preacher. He gets straight to the point. He could have prayed. For hours, just like the, those others, those, those fake prof, prophets, he could have prayed like they did for six or nine hours. Just pray, 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 pray. But he didn't. 63 words, and it came down. 63 words. You got one more behind you.
63 words. God answers. There's been times that we've got on these altars and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've cried and we've wept and we've trembled and we've got weak and we'd say 630 words or 6,300 words or 6 million words and feel like nothing's happening. But God still hears those prayers. Elijah just says 63 words. And something happens. Something great happens. His God, my God, answers him. And he sends down that fire. And he soaks up and it laps up and it burns up that altar and that, that fire or that, uh, I'm sorry, the, the bullock, the meat, and the wood. All of it. Think about that. What faith. Elijah knew his country needed a royal wake-up call. And this was it. This is what they needed. This is what they needed. He was, he was a weak king. He's talking, talking about Ahab. He, he was a weak king, and, and Jezebel was a, an evil queen. And they needed to straighten up, and his fellow countrymen, they're wavering between God and Baal. And all the prophets of the one true God are either in hiding or dead. So this country needed to wake up. It needed a great awakening, and it happened that day. They got woken up. They got to experience fire from heaven. It's a dark time, but Elijah is, is counting on God to come through, and, and we are in the same boat right now in, in our day and time. It is a dark time for us as Christians, as the church, as Americans. It's a dark time. Spiritually, we're living in, in, a, in a dark time. Now, I'm not looking for no rain. I ain't planning on building no ark because well, God said we don't have to do that no more. But we're still in a bad time, bad situation. When the church, when us as Christians become the minority, when, when decisions that are being made are not made through prayer, we're starting to see the effects of it. We're starting to see the, the downfall of the church. And they start compromising. I don't know if y'all are keeping up with what's going on in the Methodist church right now. It's not good. I don't like it. They're getting ready to split. They'll vote in May. Are you going to be a traditional Methodist church? Or are you going to be a liberal Methodist church? Are you going to support, I say the liberal side of it, they're going to support uh, the gay marriage thing. They're going to support abortion. And then the other church, the traditional, will not. They done messed up when they started letting women preach, but I ain't going there. I'll stay away from that today. But, you know, that's what's happening in the churches. Folks, I'll tell you right now, it may happen to the Baptist church at some point. You never know. Methodists are falling. Lutherans done fail. Episcopalians are struggling. Catholics, I ain't going to talk about that bunch. But we're struggling. The church is falling apart. We're in a dark time. We need awakening. We need a great awakening. I've said it before. There's been six. And I feel like when the seventh one hits, we're gone. We're gone. Because, you know, seven's, that's a pretty good number. 
I feel like when we get that seventh great awakening, that's the last time, that's when the great revival is going to spread across our country. And then he's going to call us home. He's going to give them one more chance, one more chance to get things right with him. Amen. I'm no prophet. I'm not prophesying up here by no means. I'm just saying that's, that's what I think. What a better time to come back than after the seventh great awakening. I'm going to go on before I start chasing rabbits. God wants every drop of us. When Jesus was asked to name the greatest commandment, he answered like this. He said in Mark 12, 30, he said, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So Jesus is telling us, Give him your all. With all thy strength, with all thy heart, with all thy mind. He said, give him your all. Everything you got. Pour it out. He's done poured into us. I mean, he has absolutely poured in and filled us up. And, and every one of us will be sitting here this morning with our cup overflowing. And he said, he said what, all I want from you is for you to give me your all. Give me your all. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Everything you got, everything you got, just love God. Just love Him. Don't be lukewarm. There's no halfway here. God, God wants, He wants total devotion from each one of us. Sold out, completely sold out. So Elijah's great showdown, God responds immediately. Now that's, that's kind of odd, ain't it? Immediately. What happens a lot of times with us is we pray and we pray and we pray and it may be months or years. Is it 13 years before you got Hunter? You pray for 13 years? Think about it. You pray for a long time and God don't always right then say, oh, you're pregnant. Or, oh, you're healed. Oh, whatever. God ain't always automatic like that because it's only in his timing. He was automatic with Elijah. Automatic. 63rd word left his mouth and it came down because people needed a change of heart. There needed to be a great change that needed to happen right then. Because Elijah, he had, it wasn't just done when the fire fell down. It's kind of like, you know, we read about Goliath and then nobody, the kids don't talk about David cutting his head off. We have Elijah, after the fire falls down, he goes down and slays 450 uh, of those fake prophets. Elijah had more work to do. So God said, let's get this done now. Let's burn this thing up now. Let's go ahead and start changing some hearts now. Verse 39, this is one of my favorite parts of verse 39. And when all, all, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Amen. Immediately. Fire fell down, immediately. And then immediately, they cried out. They knew who God was. They pretty much denounced Baal and recognized God as the one true God. Immediately. And I think they was already under conviction when they seen those 12 stones. And then, then what happens? Read on just a little bit further. God brings the rain. He sent the fire. 
and then he sent the rain. Even more for them to worship over. The, the God that saved their people purified and cleansed that altar, cleaned it up because it was broken. It was a broken altar. And then he rewards them with rain after a three-year drought. You may not have witnessed uh, lightning strike from your prayers or fire falling down from your prayers before. Some of us have. Some of us have. But most of us have those experiences where we know God is real. We have our own fire falling from the sky moments, and we know God is real. And he wants to remind us of that. He's real. I serve a real God, a loving God. Not just the God of, of rain and thunder and lightning, but the God of peace and love and joy and happiness. Long-suffering God. That's who I serve, not a bell. Don't, I ain't got no room for a bell in my life. My heart's full of whatever God can put in me. So I ain't got room for nothing fake. I want the real deal. We need to hang on to those moments in our lives when we get in those droughts because we all hit those droughts. We all talk about those storms of life that we're going through. Well, you know what? That's what a drought is. We go through droughts in our lives. So we need to hang on to those moments when we hit those droughts and just remember where God sent fire sometime in our past. Kind of lit us up. Remind us of how good he is. We need those reminders. We need that. I, and I'll, I'll, I'll use Mary to the day I die. I mean, I couldn't think of a better thing to happen in church after a church service. But you know, we need those reminders of how good he is and what he can do for us and where he can pull us out from. God wants us to love him and to freely choose him and what he wants from us. I'm going to close with this. What he wants out of his, out of his children, out of his people, out of this church and out of each one of y'all is to do the exact same thing that these people here said. All the people saw it and they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. That's what he wants out of us. True worship. And he wants us to say, you are the God. You are the one true God. All right, stand with me. We're going to close out.